Lesson 4 for April 18-24 The Call to Discipleship Sabbath afternoon, April 18 Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this week as we open your word. Our lesson is titled The Call to Discipleship And the disciples followed Jesus, not knowing where they were going or really who he was, but they were so impressed. We pray that this week we will be impressed with Jesus and that we will come to know him better and that your Holy Spirit will guide us in the direction that each of us should take. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let's read that again, Luke 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Disciple means a follower or a pupil. The word disciple occurs more than 250 times in the Bible, mostly but not exclusively in the Gospel and Acts. Being a disciple energizes the spirit, challenges the mind, and demands our utmost in our relationship with God and our fellow humans. Without total allegiance to Christ and the demands of his life and message, there can be no discipleship. What higher calling could one have? Ellen White writes in Desire of Ages, page 251, God takes men as they are and educates them for his service if they will yield themselves to him. The Spirit of God, received into the soul, will quicken all its faculties. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the mind that is devoted unreservedly to God develops harmoniously and is strengthened to comprehend and fulfill the requirements of God. The weak, vacillating character becomes changed to one of strength and steadfastness. Continual devotion establishes so close a relationship between Jesus and his disciple that the Christian becomes like him in mind and character. This week we'll look at how Jesus called those who were to follow him and see what lesson we can learn that can help us in our continuation of the work that He started on earth. Sunday, April 19, Fishes of Men Simon and Andrew had toiled all night. Seasoned fishermen, they knew the art of fishing, and they knew when to quit. Night-long work yielded nothing. In the midst of their disappointment came an unsolicited command in Luke 5.4. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon's response was one of hopelessness and anguish. We have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, and that's from verse 5. Who is this carpenter counselling a fisherman about fishing? Simon could have turned away, but is it possible that Jesus' comforting and authentic preaching earlier had some effect? Hence the response, Nevertheless, at your word. 
Thus, the first lesson of discipleship, obedience to Christ's word. Andrew, John and James also soon learned that the long and fruitless night had given way to a bright and astonishing dawn with a multitude of fish caught. At once Peter fell to his knees and cried out, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. That's verse 8. Recognition of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of oneself is another essential step in the call to discipleship. As Isaiah had, Peter had taken that step. Isaiah 6 verse 5 Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Question. Read Luke chapter 5 verses 1 to 11, Matthew 4 verses 18 to 22, and Mark 1 verses 16 to 20. Consider the miracle, the astonishment of the fishermen, the confession of Peter, and the authority of Jesus. What does each one of these accounts say about the path of discipleship? Well, first of all, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from then, and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, "'Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch.' But Simon answered and said to him, "'Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. "'Nevertheless, at your word I will let down the net.' And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signalled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink.' When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all, and followed him. And then the account in Matthew 4, verses 18 to 22. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and went after him. Do not 
be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Luke 5.10 The transition from being fishermen to becoming fishers of men is extraordinary. It requires absolute self-surrender to the Master, recognition of one's inability and sinfulness, a reaching out to Christ in faith for the strength to walk the lonely and unknown path of discipleship, and continual reliance on Christ and Him alone. The life of a fisherman is uncertain and dangerous, battling ruthless waves, unsure of a steady income. The life of a fisher of men is no less so. But the Lord promises, fear not. Discipleship is not an easy road. It has its ups and downs, its joys and challenges. But a disciple is not called to walk alone. The one who said, fear not, is by the side of the faithful disciple. So to finish the day, go back and read again Peter's confession about being a sinful man. Notice how his sinfulness prompted him to want to be separated from Jesus. What is it about sin that does that to us, that pushes us away from God? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, he said. Monday, April 20, Selection of the Twelve Discipleship is not self-made. It is a result of responding to the call of Jesus. Luke mentions that Jesus has already called Peter, Andrew, John and James. We read that yesterday in Luke chapter 5, verse 11. And Levi Matthew, the tax collector, we read in verses 27 to 32. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now the writer places the selection of the twelve in a strategic location in his narrative, immediately after the Sabbath healing of a man with a withered hand, that we read about in Luke chapter 6, and verses 6 to 11. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts, and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And this led the Pharisees to plot the murder of Jesus. 
the Lord knew that it was time to consolidate his work and prepare a team of workers whom he could train and prepare for the task beyond the cross. Question. Read Luke chapter 6 verses 12 to 16 and chapter 9 verses 1 to 6. What do these verses tell us about the calling of the twelve apostles? Luke chapter 6 verses 12 to 16. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor." And chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Among the multitudes that followed him, there were many disciples, ones who followed him as students would follow a teacher. But Christ's task is more than that of teaching. He is to build a community of the redeemed, a church that will take his saving message to the ends of the earth. For that purpose, he needs more than disciples. Chapter 6, verse 13. From them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Apostle means someone sent with a special message for a special purpose. Luke uses the word six times in the Gospel and more than twenty-five times in Acts. Matthew and Mark use it only once each. The twelve were chosen not because of their education, economic background, social prominence, moral eminence, or anything that marked them as worthy of selection. They were ordinary men from ordinary backgrounds, fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot, a doubter, and one who turned out to be a traitor. They were called for one purpose only, to be ambassadors of the king and his kingdom. Ellen White writes in Desire of Ages, page 294, God takes men as they are with the human elements of their character and trains them for his service, if they will be disciplined and learn of him. They are not chosen because they are perfect, but notwithstanding their imperfections, that through the knowledge and practice of the truth, through the grace of Christ, they may become transformed into his image. And so to finish today, let's face it, we're not perfect, nor are others in the church perfect. We all are in a process of growing, even if others seem to grow more slowly than we would like them to. How, in the meantime, do we learn to work with others and accept them as they are?
Tuesday, April 21, Commissioning of the Apostles Question. Read Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 6, and Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 to 15. What spiritual truths can we learn from the verses about how Jesus called these men? Well, let's read Luke 9, beginning at verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And Matthew 10, beginning at verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Luke describes the commissioning of the apostles as a three-step process. First, Jesus called them together. The word call or calling is as vital to Christian mission as it is to Christian vocabulary. Before it can become a theological term, it must become a personal experience. The apostles must heed the one who calls, come to him and be together. Both the obedience to him who calls and the surrender of everything to him are essential to experience the unity that is vital for the mission to succeed. Second, Jesus gave them power and authority, in verse 1. Jesus never sends his emissaries empty-handed, nor does he expect us to be his representatives in our own strength. Our education, culture, wealth, status or intelligence are powerless to accomplish his mission. It is Christ who enables, equips and empowers. The Greek word for power is dynamis, from which we derive dynamo, a source of light, and dynamite, a source of energy that can plough through a mountain. The power and authority that Jesus gives us are sufficient to crush the devil and defeat his purposes. Jesus is our power. Ellen White writes in Christ Object Lessons, page 333, As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. Whatever is to be done at his command may be accomplished in his strength. All his biddings are enablings. End of quote. Third, Jesus 
sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick, in verse 2. Preaching and healing go together, and the mission of the disciples is to care for the whole person, body, mind and soul. Sin and Satan have captured the whole person, and the whole person must be brought under the sanctifying power of Jesus. The life of discipleship can be maintained only when that life is totally given to Christ, with nothing coming in between. Neither gold nor silver, neither father nor mother, neither spouse nor child, neither life nor death, neither the contingencies of today nor the emergencies of tomorrow shall come between the disciple and Christ. Christ, his kingdom, and the witness to a lost world alone matter. And so to finish today, verse 3 says, Take nothing for your journey. What principle is expressed here that's important for us to understand and to experience for ourselves? Wednesday, April 22, Sending the Seventy Question. Read Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 24. What does this account of the sending out of the seventy teach us about the work of soul winning amid the reality of the great controversy? Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. After these things the Lord appointed seventy others also. And he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet one along the road. But whatever house you enter... First say, Peace to this house, and, if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the labourer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city." Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you, and you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you hears me, he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, 
I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see, and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear, and have not heard it. During his ministry, more than twelve followed Jesus. When Peter addressed the disciples, leading to the selection of a substitute for Judas, the group consisted of at least 120 believers. We read that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 15. And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, altogether the number of names was about 120, and said, Paul tells us that Jesus had at least 500 followers at his ascension in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 6. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present but some have fallen asleep. So the sending of the seventy does not limit the numbers of followers that Jesus had, but only suggests his choice of a special group on a limited mission to go before him into the towns of Galilee and prepare the way for his subsequent visits. Only the Gospel of Luke records the account of the seventy, very typical of the missionary-minded Luke. The number seventy is symbolic in Scripture, as well as in Jewish history. Genesis 10 lists 70 nations of the world as descendants of Noah, and Luke was a writer with a universal world view. Moses appointed 70 elders to assist him in his work. The Sanhedrin was made up of 70 members. Whether all these have any significance in Jesus' calling the 70 is not mentioned in Scripture, and need not detain us in speculation. But what is important is that Jesus, as a trainer of leaders for the church, has left a strategy not to concentrate power and responsibility in a few, but to spread it across the spectrum of disciples. Joy and fulfilment mark the return of the seventy. They reported to Jesus in Luke 10.17, Even the demons are subject to us in your name. Success in soul winning is never the work of the evangelist. The evangelist is only a medium. The success comes through your name. The name and power of Jesus are at the heart of every successful gospel mission. But note three remarkable reactions of Jesus to the success of the mission of the Seventy. First, in the success of evangelism, Jesus sees a defeat of Satan in verse 18. Second, the more involved one is in gospel work, the more authority is promised in verse 19. Third, the evangelist's joy should not be in what has been accomplished on earth, but because his or name is written in heaven, as it says in verse 20. 
heaven rejoices and takes note of every person, one from the clutches of Satan. Every soul, one to the kingdom, is a blow to Satan's schemes. So to finish today, read Luke 10.24, For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. What are some of the things that we have seen that prophets and kings wanted to see but didn't? What should that mean to us? Thursday, April 23, The Cost of Discipleship Socrates had Plato, Gamaliel had Saul, leaders of various religions had their devout followers. The difference between discipleship in such cases and the discipleship of Jesus is that the former is rooted on the content of human philosophy, whereas the latter is rooted in the person and accomplishment of Jesus himself. Thus, Christian discipleship rests not just on Christ's teachings, but also on what he did for human salvation. Hence, Jesus bids all his followers to fully identify themselves with him, to take up their cross and to follow his leadings. Without people walking in the footprints of Calvary, there is no Christian discipleship. Question. Read Luke chapter 9, verse 23 to 25, Matthew 16, verses 24 to 28, and Mark 8, verses 34 to 36. What is the crucial message here for anyone who claims to be a Christian? Luke 9, verse 23, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? And Matthew 16, beginning at verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 34. When he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Christian Discipleship is an operative link between the saved and the Saviour. As the saved, we are to follow the Saviour. Thus Paul could say, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, 
but Christ lives in me. The cost of discipleship is defined in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Note these operative words, deny, take up and follow. When we read that Peter denied Jesus, we could not have a better definition of deny. Peter was saying, I do not know Jesus. So when the call to discipleship demands that I deny myself, I must be able to say, I do not know me. Self is dead. In its stead, Christ must live, as we read in Galatians 2.20. Second, to take up the cross daily is a call to experience self-crucifixion on a continual basis. Third, to follow demands that the focus and direction of life is Christ and Him alone. Jesus expands the cost of discipleship even further, as revealed in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62, which reads, Now it happened, as they journeyed on the road, that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plough and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Nothing takes precedence over Jesus. He and he alone stand supreme in friendship and fellowship, work and worship. In Christian discipleship, death to self is not an option. It is a necessity. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in The Cost of Discipleship, page 99, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. Only the man who is dead to his own will can follow Christ. And so to finish today, what has following Christ cost you? Think hard about your answer and the implications of it. Friday, April 24. From the book Sons and Daughters of God, page 69, we read, Lifting the cross cuts away self from the soul and places man where he learns how to bear Christ's burdens. We cannot follow Christ without wearing his yoke, without lifting the cross and bearing it after him. If our will is not in accord with the divine requirements, we are to deny our inclinations, give up our darling desires, and step in Christ's footsteps. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. One, go back and look at the question at the end of Wednesday's study in regard to Luke 10.24. And the verse read, For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see, and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear, 
and have not heard it, what are some of the things that we, living in this day and age, have been privy to witness that many kings and prophets would have liked to see but didn't? What about, for example, the fulfilment of prophecies? Think about how much of Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 and Daniel 8 were still in the future for many of those prophets and kings, but are now historical facts for us. What else can you think of? Question 2. Dwell more on the words of Jesus about one gaining the whole world but losing one's soul. What does he mean by that? Or what about losing one's life in order to save it? What does that mean? It's one thing for a non-believer to cling selfishly to the things of this world. Why not? Because they're all they believe that they have. What else would they cling to? But why, even as believers in Jesus, those who know that this world will end and a new one will one day start, do we find ourselves so readily seeking to gain as much of this world as we can? How can we protect ourselves from this very dangerous spiritual trap? Question 3. Read Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 20. Well, let's do that. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. One can understand the excitement of these people as they saw that even demons were subject to them in Christ's name. Look at Jesus' response to them. What was he saying that's so important for anyone involved in outreach to understand? And question four. Who are some people besides Bible characters whose choice to follow Christ has cost them a lot, perhaps more than most of us? In class, ask yourselves, what did these people lose? What did their following Christ cost them? And would I be willing to do the same? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled I've Been Waiting for a While, and it comes from a pastor in China. Since the 1990s, we've had some religious freedom and now have a few church buildings. One Seventh day Adventist church is located near a large factory of an import export business. The business owner is a friend of the Adventist church member, and the two women often talk together. One day, the subject of faith came up, and the Adventist shared her belief in God, the Bible, and what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist. The businesswoman was impressed and told her friend, You have a good church. Your doctrines can really help people. Would you be willing to talk to my employees? The Adventist considered the invitation, but felt intimidated. All of the employees are non-believers, even atheists, she thought. After some time, her friend brought it up again. Hey, I've been waiting for a while. Why didn't you send someone? 
The church member realized that this was an opportunity, and she let the Adventist pastor know. When he arrived at the factory, the owner invited the department heads to a meeting. The pastor spoke about Jesus and his teachings. This is a good message, and we can help our employees have better, more positive lives, the department heads told him. Why don't you come and speak to our employees? A date was arranged, and the pastor returned. About sixty employees came to the voluntary meeting, and the presentation was well received. The pastor accepted the invitation to give presentations to the employees every two weeks. After six presentations, the pastor invited the employees to accept Jesus as their saviour, and thirty responded with a yes. At Christmas time, the Adventist church organised a big event for all two hundred employees at the factory. The factory owner also invited other nearby companies to join them. When the other business owners came, they told the woman that they noticed her employees had changed. After your employees believed in God, they seem very nice. We also want to encourage our employees to do the same. Now the Adventist pastor is meeting with the employees every Sunday evening. Additionally, the businesswoman owns other factories and plans to start a similar approach at the other locations. Following the Christmas event, the businesswoman came to the Adventist church and attended the communion service. Her friend warmly welcomed her and encouraged her to continue coming. She plans to be baptized soon. Along with thirty of her employees. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful.